Welcome back to Scribbling Rivalry, the podcast where friends and family like to come together to connect over various fandom. Your co-hosts, Ian Walter and Lady Victoire. So thanks again for tuning in. As we are here at the end of November, in November 29th, we've been talking a lot about the dystopian future that is Blade Runner from 1982, which of course depicted a dark futuristic setting from November 2019, which is where we currently are now. So I just thought it'd be interesting. I know it's November 29th. We've got some MCU birthdays in the form of 1977. So November 29th, 1977 was Chadwick Boseman, Black Panther himself, at 19. 64 of the same day, Don Cheadle, War Machine. And of course, there's also Gemma Chan, who played Minerva in Captain Marvel. She was born on November 29th, 1982. If we look forward to tomorrow, though, sis, we got a big birthday. 1937, Ridley Scott was born. Wow, I can't believe it. A November birthday? Maybe that's why he November chose. November 30th, that. 1937, and then he's setting one of his own classic films in November of 2019. A real visionary director, and I actually recently watched Blade Runner for November 2019, and I must say, it holds up. It's a mm-hmm. great classic. Yeah. I was getting taken back when you were giving our, uh, your, your piece on it, having watched it the first time recently this year. Now that I have watched it again, I can honestly say I, I agree with you on a lot of the points that you made. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I mean, I hope he's having a good old birthday out there. I hope someone's giving him some weird Blade Runner space drinks. And (laughs) And this could be considered confirmation bias, but now that we know sort of the outcome of the big question of is he a replicant or is he not, but I do think that there are enough clues laid out within that movie. Even if the author of the original book intended as as an open question, I think Ridley Scott, it was clear that Ridley Scott had taken a side and basically come to the conclusion that he is in fact a replicant. The light that burns twice as bright burns half as long. And you have burned so very, very brightly, Roy. But it was interesting how Gaff left that a unicorn at the end. Yeah, exactly. How would he know? I know, I know. How would he know about the Blade Runner's dreams? I know. It's a very underlined movie. There's lots. It's a cool mystery, and it does leave enough to the imagination where even if you kind of know the answer from going ahead and watching Blade Runner 2049, you can still sit there in 1982 and speculate or I guess November 2019, and <laughs> speculate, uh, you know, was he replicant, was he not? It's still a fun question, even though, even if they attempted to answer it in later installments. Well, HBD, Mr. Scott. That's right. Ridley Scott keeps making great films. Whether, whether or not we want to hear from these directors' opinions on anything outside of their films, they have some great <laughs> movies. But uh, just teasing ahead, because I do kind of want to check out The Irishman now that it's available on Netflix. Yeah, one of his longest movies ever. From Scorsese? Yeah. So we'll have to see that and see if, if we can stave off our disappointment from his recent comments in the, the media. <laughs> <laughs> directors will be directors <laughs> haters be hating <laughs> and we'd like to start today's episode off with a squibbling rivalry segment what's it gonna be what's the year we'll find out well, i got my trusty d20 and i'm just gonna give it a roll i got a good one i've got a classic here at least for me i'm gonna preface this with we were definitely watching it when we were too young to be watching it and that would go double for you i guess so this one it's comes from a long line of movies of its type, and it's got a very noticeable theme song. It has some... Jaws? It has some <laughs> intrigue to it, and lots of action. So, it's from a long line, and in this particular one, it was the first of a new actor reprising the role, and it was a big hit in the 90s with a big follow-up video game that maybe even was bigger than the movie itself. Oh, uh, okay. Goldeneye. Oh, you nailed it. Nailed it. I never nail it. Yeah, well, that was a good one. And you definitely hit it probably with the the video game comment, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because that was just the best first-person shooter of the night. We're going to go. Where are we going? You did mention 90s, but I would never have said 80s for that anyway. And 64 all the way. So that's going to be 95. You sniped it! Sniped just like in Golden Eye. Like down and down and down James Bond in the heezy.
Wait, what was your favorite? Is that the one with the golden gun? So I would say prior to the Dan- Daniel Craig movies, this is my favorite Bond movie. But I'm talking about in the game. It was the first of Pierce Brosnan. The Golden Gun? Was oh, that yeah. that game? It was from the game, yes. Yeah, so they yeah. had a Golden Gun setting, but obviously they were stealing from previous Bond movies. Yeah. The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, they did have it. They featured it in the they game. They had it. It was fun. a one-shot kill, right? Well, and it's funny you say that because I mentioned this on back in my day, but my favorite setting in GoldenEye was actually License to Kill, which meant yeah. every gun became one-shot, one-kill. Yes, yeah, yeah. Including yeah. rocket launches. Oh, yeah. Oh, I missed that game. Did you have a favorite level? Do you remember? A bunker? I mixed them all up, though, because... Yeah, Bunker was the one where it was one of the many level ones, right? Where yeah. they had basement and they had stack. Yeah, I always had the most anxiety with the ones that had lo- a lot of, like, physical levels. But, like, obviously that makes it for more fun. But I would be so scared someone was coming from anywhere. Oh, yeah. I think Bunker was the one where there was, like, a big middle area. So you would, like, go, is that bunker? I think you're right. That It was one of the stack or bunker uh, and levels. Yeah, there were floors, but then a big kind of open hole in the middle. But you could go on the second floor and start Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was sure. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was definitely a fan of automatics in the basement, which was actually the lower level of that same level, but they cut it off and just called it basement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I also like proximity mines in facilities. Proximity Minds. I love how we got a movie out of Squibbling Rivalry and we instantly started talking video games. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it's more relatable to the game. Yeah, it was Pierce Brosnan. It was Famke Jansen. It was our boy Sean Bean as Trevelyan. And even made an appearance, Robbie Coltrane. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it was a pretty pretty solid Pierce Brosnan. I can't believe I sniped that year. Yeah, you nailed it. So that gives you some double points today. Yeah. So I guess it's on you now. All right. It's on you to keep it rolling. I be rolling. All right. Here we are. One of my first clues is, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking Fargo. (laughs) It was too easy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for some reason, uh, you know, diehard Leafs fan over here, I bleed blue, but sometimes I cheer for Western Conference teams when our team isn't in the playoffs. So it's uh, either Chicago Blackhawks or Minnesota, Minnesota Wild. Minnesota? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. That's like a, a drama mystery thriller, I guess. What would you call that? Uh, it, it does say, it's it like a says crime, a crime thriller. Thing, yeah. It says thriller, crime but thriller. I think it's like a cult classic. Like, people find it kind of funny. Oh, of course. And it, it was so good and still resonates today that it created a series. I know. Have you watched that series? Yeah, I really liked the first season. And then it's kind of an anthology series. So it's not like when you pick up it on the second season. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the first season. Is it's that, a separate story. Is it sort of like, what's the one? With Matthew McConaughey? Matthew McConaughey. But it's not true. True Detective. Oh, yeah. Matthew is McConaughey. it similar to that? Because oh, Matthew each... McConaughey and True Detective? Yeah, that was a really good series. That was an HBO. Uh, they, they, it was also anthology. You're right. That's because what I each mean. season was a different set, uh, yeah, mystery so or because different set of characters. Fargo has like different characters in each one, right? It's so um, true. Ewan McGregor, looking forward to that. Yeah, speaking uh, of I don't Ewan, even want to get into all that fun stuff right now. Speaking of Ewan McGregor, I mean, we, we definitely started off this segment with a squibbling rivalry because we wanted to uh, give you some time to brace yourselves for some more Star Wars talk. <laughs> um, yeah, and speaking of him, if you're going to be guessing this year, another Ewan McGregor film, same year as this. But hold on, before we get fixated on our resident Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> in Ewan McGregor, I think I have a year to guess. All right, what is it? Fargo, early 90s, fingers crossed on 92. Ooh, it's the best year, one of the best, 96. Oh, it is too, <laughs> I should have known. It's one of the many... Tens and twenties of solid classics from 96. Amazing movies from that year. But good try, bro. Not as good as me. Yeah. I'm wondering <laughs> if that one made my top ten now that I think about it. <laughs> what about the other fella? He was a little older. You know, he looked like the Marlboro Man. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But maybe I'm saying that, you know, because he smoked a lot of Marlboros. Uh-huh. You know, like a subconscious type of thing. Oh, yeah. That can happen. Yeah. Hey, they said they were going to the Twin Cities. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Fargo is a great film, and uh, Ewan McGregor, so one of the stars of the prequel trilogy of Star Wars. So we did tease that there's going to be a lot of Star Wars talk leading up to Star Wars Episode Nine, and you can't get to Nine 
but that episode one. So mm-hmm. and and you know you tease this in the the Mando episode how you were saying you just watched the prequel trilogy. I did, I did. I just want to start off by saying we talked a while back about um, our kind of little funny fandom moment of Rose Byrne being the decoy. And, That's right, but the Attack of the Clones. I should say, yeah, I think I had mentioned it was Phantom Menace, but in Phantom Menace. Amidala's decoy is actually Kira Knightley. That's right. That's true. So that was like a shock to me when I was watching it because I was like, I thought it was Rose Byrne. Then I got to Attack of the Clones and she's the one who almost dies um, when they're trying to assassinate Queen Amidala. Or I should say at that point, it's Senator Amidala. Am I correct? Yeah, she gets promoted. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So I don't know. Everyone, again, there's haters, but the storyline of the uh, prequel trilogy there's so much going on. I mean, there's st- there's ups and downs for sure. Stuff I love, stuff I don't care for. I think the romance between Anakin and and well, we welcome you, listeners out there, to bring your knowledge to the table and uh, let us know when we're slightly off or way off or yeah. <laughs> you know if we if we did hit the money on some of our takes. Yeah. So yeah. So I've just recently actually I introduced a friend, Anora, to the prequel trilogy. She's a fantasy fan, but for some reason never gone down the Star Wars road. Right. So we watched all three. Or no, we started at Attack of the Clones. To be honest, I gave her a recap of Phantom Menace because I had watched it the night before. I was selfish. Then we went on to Attack of the Clones and watched, and then on to Revenge of the Sith. So it was her first time, and honestly, just her reactions were so much fun. She's like, doesn't he... Because like, obviously you get spoils if you haven't watched it by now. And she's like, is this the guy that kills all the little kids? <laughs> <laughs> the younglings. Not the younglings. And then when it happened, honestly, even though I've seen it and she hadn't seen it, we were devastated. Oh, no. <laughs> It's actually horrible. That's true. So, yeah, without uh, jumping right to the end of our prequel trilogy, I guess we're going to start with episode one, where it all began, at least in the chronology of it all. Of course, these movies were made with nods to the original trilogy because, of course, everyone who was around in the 70s and 80s and have watched since know exactly what's going on with Darth Vader and Anakin and Mm -hmm. everything else. Mm -hmm. However... We did touch on different orders that you can watch these films in. In the previous episode, you could check it out. Episode 8, The Last Mando. Uh, But for now, we're going to just kick it off with Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, and just kind of talk about the basic story and what jumped out at us. As Because I'm not going to waste a lot of time. There's three movies to talk about. I'm not going to go into the faults that any of these movies really have. Some of the things that bother us, we can talk about. We can talk about whatever you want. But I know there's people out there that aren't a fan of these movies. We've already addressed that. We're just going to stick to what kind of stood out to us. What does every Star Wars saga film have at the beginning that kind of lets you know this is going to be a special? Almost like a a recap of the time you've missed in the world of Star Wars. That's right. The Star Wars crawl. (laughs) So we got this cool crawl because, of course, this all everything that happens in the prequel trilogy is before the events of A New Hope. The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. So this is all stuff that we've never been introduced before Mm -hmm. when you're seeing the crawl for the first time. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about things like what's happening in the government. They bring up the Supreme Chancellor, Mm -hmm. Valorum. I don't think they name him, but they talk about his his stature and what's going on with the Trade Federation. Trade, yeah. And then it opens up in space, as all saga films do, Mm -hmm. with a Jedi cruiser heading towards... A blockade federation ship mm-hmm. where we meet Newt Gunray and all those nasty battle droids. I Distract want- them. This game of yours has failed, Lord Sidious. <laughs> Viceroy, I don't want this stunted slime in my sight again. <laughs> so this is where we first see the Sith and how they are kind of manipulating the trade federation from behind the scenes. And we're introduced to Darth Sidious, who looks to be the mastermind mm-hmm. behind all this turmoil that's happening throughout the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And the Jedi are serving as ambassadors, and they're coming to talk to the Trade Federation to figure out why they're blocking Naboo from its trade routes, from Mm -hmm. like Spice Route or whatever Mm -hmm. else they trade on Naboo. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of this weird time where you are like, wow, everyone's working together. And you know what I mean? Because the Jedi are so 
they're like the national guard they're like these helpers and it's so it's kind of weird to watch you're like oh it's just gonna go downhill yeah it's kind of strange like that and also with darth sidious you so we haven't even it's just him and we're like but when you watch four, five, six, I can't remember. You need to remind me. Do you know Palpatine's name, or is it just Sidious? In the original trilogy, you know who the Emperor's name. Oh, okay. And he looks kind of the same. Okay, yeah. so it's not a huge, huge surprise. I just think when it goes over to Senator Palpatine, he looks so fresh-faced and young. But I will <laughs> do a callback to my custom order because mine actually fits. So that if you're introducing Star Wars to someone for the first time and you start with Rogue One and you go into A New Hope and you go to Empire Strikes Back, you still haven't met the Emperor. So mm-hmm. even when you go back to 1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. you break off uh, from the OT, you go back to the prequel trilogy, you watch those, you find out who Darth Sidious is, but then you don't find out he's the Emperor until yeah, you go back yeah. to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Okay. Or the end of Revenge of yeah. the The action starts, I would say, starts the story moving when the Jedi are getting ambushed on the Trade Federation ship. Because basically, um, Darth Sidious has given the order to the Trade Federation to just Wipe them out. <laughs> uh, so you've got battle droids fighting with the the Jedi who we know are Obi-Wan Kenobi and his master, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn. And when do we see Qui-Gon Jinn, like, hear about him again in the, in the original? Isn't he, he, like, comes back as a ghost, right? Or no? No, he... so Qui-Gon Jinn was just Obi-Wan's master. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they featured him in the special edition, but I don't think they would have because it came out before Phantom Menace. Mm. I thought that there was definite mention of him in the original trilogy. I don't know if he's named, to no? be quite honest. Okay. It's just basically it's to set up that Obi-Wan starts this saga off as a Padawan learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ends up being the master of mm-hmm. the big bad himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, they're on that ship and they quickly get involved with Naboo. They have to go to... So when they escape, they have to go to Tatooine. I remember that because they they claim it's not even a republic system. It's controlled by the huts. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, They insist that... So actually, sorry. So the Jedi, they actually uh, are fighting the battle droids and they end up sneaking onto an invasion army battle droid ship that goes down to Naboo. So then they jump off there and that's when they encounter... The probably, I would say, the worst aspect of the entire prequel trilogy, which is Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just one of those annoying things that you can't really control when you're going through these movies. <laughs> He's more prominent in The Phantom Menace. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so they, they end up having to seek the help of Jar Jar's people, the Gungans, in order to get to the capital to talk to Queen Amidala. So this is where we get introduced to Queen Amidala and her whole troop of, I guess, lookalikes at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her handmaidens. Her handmaidens, that's right. Mm-hmm. But this ain't the handmaid's tale. <sighs> when they do eventually escape Naboo, they have to, they their ship, I think, gets hit. Mm-hmm. and they So they're trying to rescue the queen and they have to land on a mysterious planet of Tatooine, which is, we all know, our favorite dust ball planet of A New Hope. <laughs> dust ball. Yeah. <laughs> so it brings us back to familiar territory. We start to get some OT vibes when they're on Tatooine. And, and then they basically, the queen urges that one of her prized handmaidens or one of her top handmaidens go with them to secure a new hyperdrive engine for the ship. Sneaky moves. Some sneaky moves. There's some interesting references. Like they encounter... Anakin for the first time, mm-hmm. where we're seeing not what you'd expect from <laughs> the deadliest force in the galaxy in a little innocent boy named Anakin Skywalker. Wow, he's like this genius. He, he created C-3PO. That's right. Builds his own droids. He's like, he's a great little pilot for a little kid of his age. I know. And he's even competing in pod races <laughs> with the big action sequence there. Yeah. He- I actually really like. And I love the different aliens. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. They're getting picked off one by one by Sebulba. Yeah, I think it's so funny. That, what a weird choice for little Anakin because his 
so far from fantasy, but that might be my experience with him as the kid in Jingle all the way. I know, right? I think that's More why on that next we, week. we aren't as annoyed by him as most people is because we've seen Jingle all the way like every year around Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, there's little Annie. But it is like a normal human Earth world character, so it's very strange to see him like this genius on Tatooine. And the way he's just like this whiny kid, but he is he is good. He is he's, he's a lot great. of energy. He's got a heart of gold and he just wants to help Qui-Gon Jinn get the parts he needs to get back to his ship. And at this point, it's just Qui-Gon and Padme that are meeting Anakin and his mother. Mm-hmm. And of course, they bring R2 with them, probably. Right? Yeah. They, and Jar Jar. Uh, I think R2 is with them. Oh, yeah, because R2 meets C-3PO for the first time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, you know, he's a wide-eyed boy who just doesn't he know t- anything outside of Tatooine. And he even says to Qui-Gon, he's like, no one can kill a Jedi. And then Liam Neeson has this great dramatic moment where he goes, I wish that were so. <laughs> um, foreshadowing? <laughs> yeah, and R2 actually yeah, for sure is there because he calls... 3PO naked, doesn't he? He's like, you know you're naked. That's right. Each uh, From the jump, when they first meet, he's already chirping 3PO. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's something about this boy, I guess. You yeah, can see so things much, before they happen. So much so, they take him back to the uh, committee and, they, and Liam Neeson says, I'm going to train him. I will train the boy. I will train the boy. No matter what you say, Yoda. That's right. The council get painted as these like bureaucratic like Jedi who just don't want like I know, fear that's everything. What I mean. <laughs> that's what I mean about this film. I'm like, what is their deal? Like this is like the least the way you would think about them, but of course, it, it's nice because it shows you the like, harsh reality of things. It's That's know. right. Like I always say how I love, we even mentioned up top, how I love in A New Hope, it just thrusts you in the middle of the action. Like There's already this war going on, and there's already a, like two, two clear sides in the Rebellion and the Empire. And it's like the same thing kind of happens when they set up episode one, where there's this, there's a different lay of the land the state of the galaxy is that the jedi are in power and they have been for a very long time and it's just now that there's some dark seeds of the sith creeping up to to challenge them but they've been unchallenged for a long time and they're hubris and they've been like kind of stacking their, their yeah. egos right a little bit like yeah exactly i mean like they have this council and it's all grand and you know their view is nice <laughs> yeah exactly like they're just everything's Tip-top shape up here in the Jedi <laughs> Council. So it's nice that there's a little phantom menace creeping out to, to greet them. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to the real phantom menace, we're introduced to the big bad of episode one, which uh, he's sent out by Darth Sidious himself to go challenge Qui-Gon Jinn and the rest of the crew on Tatooine. Yeah, every every 90s kid's uh, horror <laughs> I know. Darth Maul. The badass of the series, I would say. Hornhead. Yeah. <laughs> Darth Maul. Uh, you know, he's not a man of many words, but uh, he gets the job done. He's got a double-sided red lightsaber, and he just goes to town. Yeah, I remember when that double-sided lightsaber came out. It was, like, so exciting for everyone. <laughs> I'm probably not alone in saying that Duel of the Fates, when they actually end up getting to showdown in this film is my favorite part of the Phantom Menace for sure. Mm-hmm. Just the fight between Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Darth Maul just, it kind of makes that movie worth watching. Yeah, exactly. When, you know, when the the protector partitions come up and Obi-Wan has to basically just watch the fight and, and even when they come down and he runs and then they go up again and it's just the ultimate suspense. Yeah, that that fight scene, it showed you how crazy these Jedi battles can actually get. And that's kind of what the prequel trilogy does for me. It just, it does what a prequel is supposed to do. It kind of paints more backdrop for you to imagine what's going on. Even when you go to watch the original trilogy, you're getting ideas of what could be happening Mm -hmm. out there in the galaxy that maybe were brought on by the events of what came before. Those three films are pivotal in terms of story. Whether you like the acting choices or the cgi it's a cgi heavy trilogy compared to the originals and even i'd argue the newer trilogy or it's just more refined in the current trilogy but uh, definitely sets you up for different conflicts that you're going to see throughout the following saga films right yeah i think it's funny the choreography of lightsaber duels because they (laughs) 
It's like so, some of it's so dancey. You know what I mean? I wonder what, um, how George Lucas came up with that was going to be the, the, the Jedi like, like weapon. That'll be the way, the way yeah. that they move and the way that they fight. Just the, the actual weapon itself, first of all, because I understand it's similar to a sword. Maybe that's where it I started. I think they draw inspiration from Samurai. Sure. Yeah, but that choreography is completely different from what you I have know. in the lightsaber. The way they kind of, it kind of looks like a rave. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. That's part of the appeal of the actual <laughs> laser sword aspect. To yeah. It, right? Like, it'll be different colors. And yeah. How many different colors have we seen in the world of Star Wars? So the, I would say the art, the OG colors have got to be blue and red. Right? Yeah. So you've got like Luke versus Darth Vader kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then, of course, you've got... I think Qui-Gon's is green, no? Qui-Gon's is green. Yeah. And that's kind of a... Th- it's a callback to going forward into Return of the Jedi where Luke gets a green one as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there's definitely always been green. And then they start to play around in the prequel trilogy and show you some other ones. I think uh, yellow is a callback to a time where it might not have been vividly blue in the very early version of the first... Star Wars, it was probably more like a yellow. Yeah. Um, and then they, they refined it to blue. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, and then and then there's purple, which I love the purple. Not only is it like a creative choice because it's something we haven't really seen and it's like a mix of red and blue, but it's, <laughs> well. Sorry, <laughs> Sir Walter just looked at me to make sure that was the right color combination. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about prime color. <laughs> Red and blue make purple, <laughs> but correct. it's actually funny because Samuel L. Jackson was just like, I want mine to be purple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just kind of demanded it, and Lucas was like, all right. Is that true? Or all you right, just... Sam, you can have purple. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, I think that's how it went down. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. yeah, so we got some purple ones out there, and I'm sure there's some, been some creative ones across all the series and whatnot, but uh, those are kind of the main ones floating around. I want to see a rainbow one. Rainbow. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so then I guess we're not really training the boy because the council forbids it. So you're just going to have to come along with us and learn the ropes. Yeah. Figure it out for yourself, Anakin. So really still training the boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I do love the introduction to Yoda and how we're getting some more wise words from him where he goes, fear is the path to the dark side. Mm-hmm. And he starts schooling people on, you know what, as as much grief as I'm giving the Jedi, there's a far worse force out there, and that is the dark side. So Yeah. Gungans get pasted too, eh? I don't really like Jar Jar's accent in this film, so that's going to be the extent of my <laughs> impressions for him. But yeah. I don't know. He's the most annoying part for me. I think if there was one edit I would ever make the prequel trilogy, I'd be adding more alien voices and uh, just dubbing over the, the basic and maybe giving some subtitles instead. Because yeah. some of that, I, I get it. it. It was intended for kids, and you can't have a movie full of subtitles and have kids understanding what's going on. And, you know, I'm sure some young kids like Jar Jar kind of bumbling around and yeah, with making baby fart voice. jokes. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. But other than that, I mean, he's only really prominent in Phantom Menace during the middle of, beginning and middle. Well, I, yeah, I mean, he really... If he annoys you, he can dominate that whole movie. But in Attack, uh, I think it's Attack, no, in Revenge of the Sith, like he is, he's actually like a prominent, he's a big part, but he just doesn't have as many lines. Like he's doing a big part. It might be Attack of the Clones, I can't remember. But he's still like a big part of the story, just he's in the background, which is better. And I think they obviously did that on purpose. Because, yeah, he's he becomes of his people, like the the leader right well actually the funny thing about jar jar binks is that he actually joined that goes into the political side during uh, attack of the clones yeah yeah and he's the one that actually ends up giving chancellor palpatine his emergency powers he's the one that like proposes that we award him the emergency powers that eventually leads to the empire so it's jar jar that we have to thank Uh, yeah for all of that it's all his fault thanks qui-gon for letting him come along and uh screw things up for everybody Qui-Gon made so many bad calls. <laughs> yeah, Qui- see, Qui-Gon, I think he had good intentions. Obviously. But there's a reason why it's it's uh, Obi-Wan and not him that gets to train Luke down the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think it was, a, it was a great character to kind of set up Obi-Wan because if you look at it, they're just like the original trilogy, there are some main players to the prequel trilogy, and that's not just Anakin Skywalker, but it's also Padme Amidala, 
and it's also Obi-Wan Kenobi. So when you look at these films, you can also look at the journey that they go on and see that they make a lot of changes. And mm-hmm. especially because Ewan McGregor's not even done in this world, it gets me excited when I watch his development and know that there's gonna, we're going to get more from him to come. Yeah, exactly. There's a it, That's a great idea that they have for Obi-Wan because there's so much in between the two trilogies for his story it's so exciting it's kind of like solo but i'm more excited almost yeah and i uh, love how obi-wan he's not just a yes man like he's challenging qui-gon too and he stuff, says stuff like the boy is dangerous they all sense it why can't you and he's just like really going after him right yeah it's yeah. So <laughs> like uh, i know his accent why can't you uh but yeah so there's obviously the big showdown against darth maul that's how we lose our dear friend Qui-Gon. Mm. But that only enrages Obi-Wan further and he gets the he gets his revenge he does, on yeah. Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Slices him in half. And we see Darth Maul fall down into a pit. And that's it. Yeah. Until maybe later. Until maybe later. As far later. as uh, 1999 goes, it, that was the end of Darth Maul. But uh, we all know uh. that if you're following along in the series and you end up making it solo, we get a tease that he's still alive. Yeah, that's true. But that's years later. That's closer to the uh, original trilogy time. Oh, I can only just imagine him at the bottom of that pit, two halves, being like, I'll make it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he does. Well, if you think about it, I mean, it was Darth Sidious that pulled all the strings, but he was a pretty menacing villain as well. Yeah. So, and then is that how that film ends? And we mo- So after Duel of the Fates, which is a great number by uh, john williams that score mm-hmm. is just yeah incredible that's another thing too i mean there's all there's all sorts of positives to get out of watching another episode of a star wars saga film it's not just like oh the jar jar was annoying there's so many great <laughs> like features to watching star wars that yeah. i think they all kind of amount to something that is pretty special yeah so they go they take out maul and then of course in the sky, Anakin Skywalker's uh, learning his flying chops more by taking out the Trade Federation ships and the droid, the droid army, right? So he's he's helping by, Anakin, stay in that cockpit. Okay, I will. Stay in this cockpit. I'll oh, fly yeah, to I space. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And he flies so, up to space. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they, they kind of take out the droid army. Once you take out the blockade droid control ship, all the droids drop. And uh, I get Wakanda vibes when I watch that back now. When I watch them fighting on Naboo, it's it's like they're fighting in, in Wakanda. Yeah, in, I get in that. For bit. sure. Or Infinity War, sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> then you've got the big parade where they're all celebrating. I don't know why. There's still a dark lord of the Sith out there, but they're all happy that they won the battle. They haven't won the war. And uh, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine now, as it is, has begun his true journey throughout mm. this prequel trilogy and i noticed how he walks by in the, the oh, we'll be watching your career with, with great, great interest. interest that's right so he's already got his eye on anakin he's yeah. like this guy was born of the force i'm gonna train him like i'm yeah, gonna get him totally. he's gonna be on my side he senses um, the fear for yeah, sure so the phantom menace so that's a great title what does that title say to you at last we will reveal ourselves to the jedi at last we will have revenge you have been well trained, my young apprentice. They will be no match for you. You know what? I always, uh, ignorantly, I always just kind of thought, oh, maybe Darth Maul because he looks like menacing, but Phantom doesn't make any sense. So I don't well, know. For anyone, any of our listeners out there who are looking forward to episode nine, the Skywalker saga coming to a close with the rise of Skywalker, we are obviously really amped for it. That's why we're going back to square one and watching episode one all the way up, leading up to episode eight, leading up to the finale. But anyone who's watched that first trailer of uh, Rise of Skywalker kind of know that there's they're teasing a return of one of the big bads of the saga. And if you consider Star Wars sort of a, a franchise of echoes throughout the various trilogies and the various films, we get lots of... Uh, callbacks to other things that have come before and in this case i think the phantom menace is most certainly referring to darth sidious aka emperor palpatine Mm -hmm. so i mean when you find out that he might be coming back in episode nine and he's kind of the guy that started it all with episode one it gets me real excited for what's gonna be crazy yeah so that's why i think well definitely the phantom menace is alluding to darth sidious because they do say at the end of the movie Always two there are, no more, no less, a master and an apprentice. 
But which was destroyed, the master or the apprentice? The Phantom Menace. So the whole reason why we have Star Wars out there in the galaxy is because of this guy, Darth Sidious. And the attack continues mm-hmm. with some clones. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it does. And where did these clones come from? Honestly, I really like a lot of parts of Attack of the Clones. And the storyline, everything. I would would say, I think, when we were watching, if you go from Attack of the Clones and then do a direct into Revenge of the Sith, it's clear, just on the not storyline side of things, it's clear that the actor that played Anakin, what's his name again? Hayden Christensen? Yep. And uh, Ewan McGregor. It's so clear that in attack of the clones they're kind of thrown in together for the first time and you there's these growing pains as actors together because it was really awkward to be honest watching attack of the clones with them too but then when you get to revenge of the sith anyway i'll talk about it in a bit but (laughs) it's like they are literally like uh, just meshing they're like gelling as you would say it's awesome so that would be the downfall of attack of the clones is literally just it seemed like they were just thrown into like okay here's what you're doing now well yes it's it's a difficult romance, and I think the reason why it doesn't really bother me is because Star Wars isn't inherently a romance, so we're not we're not looking to that as being the pivotal. Even though the story is very much revolving around their romance in Attack of the Clones, it's not the pivotal thing, the overarching thing that's going to Oh, impact. are you talking about Amidala? I'm talking about the just the straight-up love connection. Yeah, what were you talking Oh, about? no, I was, I'm talking about them as partners, as mentor and apprentice, um, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. Oh, interesting. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Two different partnerships. I know. I was like, oh, romance, okay. <laughs> no, it, they're very awkward together even though they are separated most of the film it seems like just as actors it's not even it seems like they were thrown into this storyline and it's kind of this weird in-between movie because i almost think it's just this awkward get from phantom menace to revenge of the sith just for them to specifically the actual storyline is really great i really like it i agree well the storyline is what keeps me from not skipping this one entirely when when going to do my rewatches and marathons, mm-hmm. it's because I like what's going on inside the story, and it does set up a lot of themes for Revenge of the Sith, which I think is actually a really good movie. Um, so, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, the acting is a little suspect at times. The dialogue is pretty atrocious for the most part of the Tag of Clones, but those are kind of the, the big gripes for me. Other than that, I think the action and the spectacle is all pretty on point for Star Wars. And you kind of open up, not open up, but... Pretty soon into the film, kind of get introduced to the the clones original. So that's right, the OG. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I was thinking about this. We mentioned it when we were talking about the Mandalorian. And I actually don't think even Jango Fett is a true Mandalorian. I think he's just rocking the armor. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the the stormtroopers are him. I mean, I'm sure anyone out there listening who's a really big into the canon of Star Wars will. Would jump in and, and correct us to probably yeah. say that I don't think he's he's got like the gear the ju- the jetpack the the Mandalorian armor but I think he got that from someone maybe from bounty hunting like I don't think he is a Mandalorian himself. No, I don't I don't think so either because he has a human son. We well, find that, it. That's actually one of his clones too. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So clones can age. But the cool thing linking it back to the Mandalorian in a sense when you're watching the Mandalorian these days is that fact that Dr. Pershing in The Mandalorian is wearing a Kamino cloning patch. So it makes you think of Kamino and the adventure that Obi-Wan goes on to find out about the clone army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so lots of fun. And, of course, the relationship between Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. It, it's so it, it, awkward. It barely stood a chance to begin with because we're literally going from little Annie in, uh, in Phantom Menace to this. And I know 10 years has passed. But it's still a little awkward. Well, it doesn't really start till nearer to the end, right? Because she she basically is like, no, and then... Well, actually, at the very beginning, when I watched it, I was laughing because Padme lights him up to begin with. She I says, know. and you'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. <laughs> You're not getting near this. I know, and then he just is persistent enough, Too I guess. persistent and creepy. It's a lame, lame romance. But <laughs> Sir Walter's right. Uh, you know, it's not about that, so... That's correct. So, I mean... We get a lot of cool little action sequences. You could argue, were they really necessary? The whole, like, worms through the window. But there's a lot of creepy, cool Star Wars-y stuff that we get to see just because of the fact that we know that everyone's trying to, or the Darth Sidious is trying to take out Padme Amidala. Mm-hmm. And obviously the stresses of being 
chancellor it really aged him <laughs> he's got this like uglier face in this one that's right he's sort of getting uh, more and, and more sinister yeah and i'm not talking as ugly as it gets but he's on the way <laughs> he's on the way from senator to chancellor and taking over the guns mm-hmm. taking over the politics scene there's that big speeder chase scene that's where you're sort of finding out that there's this bounty hunter named Django fed and he's commissioning other like he got this assassin at the beginning of the movie right up top when it goes from the crawl to space to the uh, naboo Mm-hmm. Transport landing on Coruscant and then blowing up. Yeah, Zam and Vessel. Or Zam Wessel Vessel, is yeah. the assassin that's been paid to take out Padme. And the funny thing is, is like it would have worked too, but of course Padme has got her nice little decoy system in full effect. Yes, yeah. Corday, poor Corday, never stood a chance on the on the runway there. And I think that's is and that's... then Dorme is the one who comes in as Rose Byrne. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's when they decide Annie needs to be her protector, which it's a sad attempt a at setting to... up their romance. Well, it's a great way to get get uh, poor Anakin to break his Jedi code of never being able to touch a woman. <laughs> and also, like I just kept screaming, why? Why are they so insistent on separating? Like, I guess because Obi Wan is like he's ready and he should go out on his own i understand but it's just so obvious that he needs more guidance yeah and the problem too is like obi-wan had to put his own ambitions aside for 10 years to like raise this like train this boy right that's true so he's like get out of here i think he's ready to just be his own (laughs) hero yeah and I mean, and then, yeah, so as his, as his her protector, she, or as the one being protected, she is a huge enabler for Anakin. It's honestly, oh, yeah. they have a toxic relationship. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. And like, even <laughs> when she starts to see that he's going down the dark path, she's like, I can save him. I can bring him back. But then she like says, he is it this? Yeah, it must be this film where he's like. I saw my mom, or is that Revenge of the Sith? No, that's right. Yeah, and when, then she's like, yeah, let's go. Like, she, no. Yeah, she just lets him do it, but... She I goes mean, with him. I guess she didn't know he was going to slaughter a whole camp of Tusken Raiders when he found out his mom was dead. I killed them. I killed them all. But that was an interesting setup, too, because when that happens, so they go back to Tatooine, even though they're supposed to be hiding out on Naboo, continuing their love affair, or whatever you call that. I hate sand. But, uh, yeah, so they end up on Tatooine because he wants to go save his mother from a vision that he had where his mother's not doing so hot, and he's right. Turns out his force visions are correct, and he stumbles upon Lars Homestead, which is Luke's hometown, Luke's Luke's moisture farm of his upbringing. Yeah, because Luke gets... The shit end of the stick. That's right. He gets stuck there on Tatooine because his dad's an overlord. Uh, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft. And smooth. So we got Klee Lars and his kids, Baru, or not his kids, um, Owen and his Owen's wife, Baru. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that, I guess that would make Owen Anakin's stepbrother. Yes. So when you see him getting all grumpy at dinner time with Luke in A New Hope, it's because he knows exactly who Anakin Skywalker <laughs> is going to grow up to be. Yeah. So um, Anakin's interrogating Klee. Turns out, you know, Watto sold Shmi to Kleeg Lars, and then Lars freed her and married her because they fell in love. Uh, so then they couldn't save her from the Tuscan Raiders, I guess, who stole her weeks ago when she's been stuck in the Tuscan Raider camp. Anakin finds out, loses his mind, unfortunately doesn't save his mother, and then murders the whole camp. <laughs> so Dark Side's coming out. Oh, man. Palpatine starts his grooming of Anakin early on in Attack of the Clones. He even tells him he sees him becoming the most powerful Jedi, oh, even yes. more powerful than Yoda. Um, is this when they're at Cirque du Soleil, or is that later? Oh, that—that's you're alluding to my favorite scene, and that's coming up in Revenge. Uh, so that's where he really tries to seduce Anakin. Uh, the dark side. So I'll just tease ahead. To that's that. true. That's basically the end game. Yeah. Yeah. So 
It's all leading. This movie is, it is a lot of filler. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of filler trying to get you, like you said, from point A to point B, which is taking it from young Anakin in The Phantom Menace to a guy that's capable of becoming Darth Vader by the end of Revenge of the Sith. So there's a lot of ground to cover. I do like the whole Kamino cloning facility and the origin of how they got their army. Yeah, when they're like, oh, your army is ready for you. Yeah, and like that's... Master Sifo-Dyas, who we've never heard from and will never hear from again. He's just this old jedi who i guess he had an ulterior motive or maybe he was intending for the army to be for the republic but he was basically uh when he was still alive he was concocting this clone army for someone to take over the galaxy with yeah and doesn't and then when obi-wan phones home to like like, tell them doesn't he get caught by count dooku he's like warning warning and count dooku's like actually i'm here like how does he get caught in like the so he actually goes on his own adventure following Django fett so what happens is they have a little battle on camino and but Django fett was just trying to peace out because he knew that obi-wan was on his tail Mm -hmm. so then they have their battle but then he ends up tracking Django fett in kind of a reverse way that boba fett tracks them and the the team to cloud Mm -hmm. city on Bespin in The Empire Strikes Back. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a reversal there where Obi-Wan tracks him to Geonosis where you have the whole capture and then Anakin and Padme get captured and they do the whole arena battle. And that's actually where we encounter those three different creatures. And the one Anakin's fighting is the one he actually tames with the Force. Mm -hmm. has those three horns. It's called a Reek. And so it's not the same as the Mudhorn from The Mandalorian. But it is is sort of a similar vibe to how he was able to not that he tames the mudhorn or anything but i know yeah. the mandalorian tries to tame the blurg yeah. and then he gets encounters his mudhorn which gives me similar vibes because they both have horns but there's a creature totally. in attack of the clones that anakin has to deal with yeah and he ends up having three horns but it's a similar kind of yeah piece. exactly that's what i was thinking of when we in mandalorian for sure that's right so they have their big battle and of course it's actually the reek who affects jango fett in that whole fight because he ends up uh, getting his jetpack damaged, so he's unable to escape when Mace Windu inevitably takes him out. Mm-hmm. So that's the coolest part about Attack of the Clones is how all the Jedi Council show up in full force. Yeah. And they're all fighting together, and you really see it's, what the Jedi could be. It's funny you should they're say like the that. The Avengers of the, the Star Wars. That's universe. exactly right. You were saying about Phantom Menace. So, like, it was like the Wakanda scene. I'm like, well, that is like the scene in Endgame where they all come out and it's a final battle. Like, That's right. Except it's not as represent, epic. Yeah. Save Obi-Wan and all exactly, the rest. Exactly, yeah. No, it's cool. So yeah, that, there are some definitely cool action sequences to take out of Attack of the Clones. It obviously boils down to when they go to the Separatist base and, you know, it's the big reveal. Like Count Dooku is Darth Tyrannus mm-hmm. and they have that huge showdown between... First, Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin, but because they don't know how to work as a team, they get schooled, and then Yoda has to show up to save the day. But here's where we see some failure from Yoda, because he has to make a choice. Does he fight Dooku, or does he save Obi-Wan and Anakin? And he opts to save them. Dooku escapes with the Death Star plans, and Rogue One and the original trilogy become made possible. Mm. Because of Yoda's failure. (laughs) And that's why he's always schooling people on failure yeah. every time we meet him. He has not lived it down. <laughs> so that was Attack of the Clones. And it all boils down to my favorite of the prequel trilogy. And that's where we really see Anakin turn to the dark side of the Force. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Man, Revenge of the Sith opens up, as I was kind of mentioning before, with Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor just being badass together. It's like they were best friends for a year in real life and figured it out. And they're like, now we get what he's doing with this story. And you're like, yes. And it's so much better. I That's right. It. And they're, it's been, I think, three years now since Attack of the Clones. So they've been going on missions and sometimes separate, sometimes together. And you can really tell that they're like, they become bros. Yeah. No, for sure. Which is more upsetting, really. (laughs) And that crawl sets you up, too, because it's not a huge chunk of time, but it's still enough time where I think we're about to see some real big changes happen in the galaxy, of Mm -hmm. course, leading into the Empire. But even in in the crawl, they tell you there's heroes on both sides. You've got Separatist droid army that's captured the 
the Supreme Chancellor. And, mm-hmm. of course, we know at this point you can kind of tell he's playing games. Yeah. Just trying to see, like, how powerful Anakin can get. And he's trying to coax him into mm-hmm. doing dark side deeds. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got that opening scene where it's a space battle. And I love how they open on that because it kind of relieves the pressure of having to build to a climax where you have this huge... Space battle, it's like, okay, well, we've, we've seen this big space battle to open up Revenge of the Sith, so we don't feel the need to end on, on that note. We can do something different mm-hmm. because we've kind of gotten this huge space battle right off the jump. So then they, they get onto the ship where Palpatine's being held, and it's the droid commander, General Grievous, and Count Dooku who are behind it all. And that's where you get a rematch showdown between Obi-Wan and Anakin. And this time, Anakin's been getting stronger. And he comes back darker, and it goes one-to-one with Count Dooku and takes him out mm. with Palpatine cheering him on. Oh, I know. and uh, Do uh, it. Do it, yeah. Because Anakin's original uh, thought is to just take him into custody or whatever, jail him, and then Palpatine is like, nope, kill him. Kill him. Good, Anakin. Good. Kill him. Kill him now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so... He, you can see pa- Palpatine's not, uh, you can definitely tell he's not a good guy at this point. Anakin's rescued him, but the, he, Anakin moves to go rescue Obi-Wan or take him with him, and he goes, no, there's no time. He tries to get him to go on without Obi-Wan. He's already trying to mold him into this Yeah, force. I know. I know, there's so many, like, red flags. Anakin's clearly missing. But at this point, Anakin's still pretty good for the most part. He says his fate will be the same as ours. And he just exactly. makes sure to save his buddy. He gives you a lot of hope, but it really is the dream that hit the dream. Well, it's, I mean, when he finds out. So he goes back to see his lava. That's right. And she goes, Anakin. I'm pregnant or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. So the reason he like really goes to the dark side is he... He thinks he loses them all. He thinks he, he loses no, her No, he just thinks he loses her. Yeah. So yeah. he has a dream that night that That's she tells right. him. And then he's like, oh no, you're going to die. So his whole... What he thinks... Basically exactly what Yoda warned us all about. The fear takes over and he's like, oh, I need to figure out how to save her. And, of course, the dark side people are going to be like, yeah, we know how to do stuff. That guy's basically psychic. Yeah. City or whatever we want to call him right now. Palpatine is basically psychic because he's like, he knows. Is he psychic? How does he know he had that dream? He fully knows his fears. Well, that's the power of the dark side. He can, yeah. he can feel search his, it, feelings. search his feelings and he can, he can tell what his mind's fixated on. Yeah, it, so. exactly. So that's really how he gets it because before that dream happens, like I guess when there's not as much at stake, like it's less easy to go to the dark side and just being philosophical. But once there's like a higher stake, I, AKA he's going to be having a kid. Things get a little more stressful. And then he realizes he might lose Amidala. Then it's easier to turn to whatever you think is going to save. So the dark side can be more powerful in that sense. Yeah. And I always think like he's got this unprecedented level of power. They're all calling him the chosen one. He's supposed to be doing the prophecy, fulfilling, bringing balance to the force. And of course the Jedi are scared of this, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I always think about whenever we have these stories, especially in, say, like, Marvel superhero stories, whenever you have, like, a really overpowered bad guy who's maybe a, a child or doesn't know how to control their powers, they're always, like, that's when they're most dangerous. And in this case, Anakin's just, like, freaking out emotionally. And because he's so powerful, it's leading to really dark possibilities of where his mind can go. Like, mm-hmm. he knows he's powerful enough to make a difference. So he's now thinking of, like, the most desperate ways to do so. Yeah, definitely. I know. I don't know. I can't remember the sequence of things happening, but I don't know. If, are we even this far yet? Where basically he does. This is at the Cirque du Soleil thing when he really Cirque does. Du Soleil. <laughs> um, I just it's call kind it of that. Like a, yeah, it's funny that they call Star Wars the space opera, and literally where he seduces Anakin to the dark side is like at a space opera. <laughs> yeah. But no, it is my favorite. Yeah, scene it is an opera. Of the entire prequel trilogy that that is that is where he lays it down how powerful he really is it's it's where you even though you knew that chancellor palpatine is really darth sidious and becomes emperor palpatine because of the name and because it's the same actor reprising that role if you were really deep into star wars you knew that you saw that coming but what you didn't see 
is how he he changes from that like friendly political face to the sinister join the dark side now let's rule the galaxy kind of other than Sidious ordering people around you never really knew what drives him Mm -hmm. and this is where you get that nice little exposition dump and he tells you did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise Mm -hmm. when Anakin says uh, nope never heard of that story he goes it's "It's not a story the Jedi would tell you it's a Sith legend it's a Sith legend, that's right. So he starts talking about a powerful Sith Lord named Darth Plagueis, and he goes into great detail about this story, details he could only really have if he were intimately involved in the story. He's talking about how Darth Plagueis trained an apprentice, and Darth Plagueis was so powerful with the dark side that he became able to cheat death and essentially create life, or even bring people back from the brink of death, or save people from dying and so he ends this great speech this monologue if you will with uh, the fact that uh, he says ironic he was able to save others from death but not himself because he claims that the apprentice murdered him in his sleep and we all know by this point he's implying he was the apprentice to darth Plagueis, and he is in fact darth sidious so that Mm. is the big reveal even though you kind of sensed it it was really cool in how they pulled it off Definitely, yeah. And then, of course, it's not till later when things get really dramatic and Anakin finds out that he is the Darth Lord they've all been searching for. And then that's when it gets really complicated. (laughs) Yeah. um, One of the scary, like, the best or prominent memories I have of this movie is the the forced lightning or what is that? Yeah, when he gets to use it on, uh, he tries to use it on Mace Windu initially. Yeah, and he and it backfires onto his face, and then it's that's like, that's, how it gets disfigured. That's how you look like it's that. Thanos face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is so epic, and the way he laughs when he's doing the Force Lightning. Oh, he, he is he's good at that. Yeah, good at he, that role. He's cackling, and he, yeah, he really is. I mean, and then anyone who loves his performance in Return of the Jedi, they're just loving it because they're getting more Emperor Palpatine style, right? Mm-hmm. From Revenge of the Sith. And that's probably why I resonate more with this movie out of, out of the three, just because it gives you those those vibes of this is what this is what is going to take over the galaxy and essentially rule the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's this combination of ultimate power and just, I guess, desperate yearning like at this yeah. point that's what darth vader is right he's just like yeah this, he's just grasping at straws yeah like he's he's defeated in every way because he lost the thing but he's he so most. powerful so it's like yeah, physically it's, it's crazy it's it's like frankenstein's a monster almost like it's, i know it's, it's it, and yeah very manipulated but and then that's the time where he essentially he's not even fully at the that's after the opera right with the force lightning yeah. he's not even fully on the dark side yet because he only wants to like stop Samuel L. Jackson from killing Palpatine because he wants to know more. But I he don't think he doesn't want to lose out on the opportunity to save to save Amidala. Yeah. So then he doesn't kill. I don't know Samuel L. Jackson. What's his character's name? Mace Windu. Mace Windu. But he, but Palpatine takes that chance, and then I think well, maybe and you know you know Palpatine's been playing the long game, so he was kind of like acting like I'm weak. I know, I know, like, it's so obvious. Letting, uh, seeing what uh, Anakin would actually do, right? If he would try and step in, and then of course when he gets that Jeez. little moment, he just wipes him out. That's when he's cackling. Um, yeah. So tells and then... uh, Vader go to the Mustafar system. Wipe out Viceroy Gunray and the rest of the Separatist leaders. So he's like, he's fully ordering him around. He orders him around, but he hasn't changed everything yet. That's right. That's right. Um, so when he goes, and and that is that where the younglings die? So first he goes and wipes out the younglings, and then he gets ordered to go and wipe out the Separatist leaders. Mm-hmm. And that's when Obi-Wan goes to Amidala and is like, he's gone to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, she, he just lays down the law. I love that scene between the two. I know. She's like, what? And he's like, yeah, he's gone. You lost him. <laughs> but then he follows her. And and that's where we get 
an epic climax to Revenge of the Sith where you finally get to see what you probably would have liked to have seen in A New Hope when you go back and you watch those movies. You're like, the o- the only lightsaber battle you get in A New Hope is the one between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader, and it's kind of just to, to buy time for the rest of the heroes to get away from the Death Star. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really like you kind of leave feeling unfulfilled until you get more lightsaber battles in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But this is the sort of the rematch, but back in time before the initial bout in A New Hope. So this is the big battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin Skywalker to essentially end their friendship, <laughs> if it wasn't over already. I know, yeah. <laughs> sealed the deal. <laughs> I know. And, well, actually, even just before they battle, he, uh, Vader or, or Anakin, at this point, not sure, <laughs> basically almost kills his wife and mother of his children. Child. <laughs> that's right so he's basically acting again on this fear and yeah. he's desperate and he he's trying to explain it to obi-wan but obi-wan knows he's a lost cause they end up fighting over the lava pits of mustafar and of course obi-wan ends up on the high ground but is it warns annie is it during this and honestly it's the the worst thing ever it's it, it's just as bad as uh, Infinity War dust moment. Uh, execute. Oh, that's right. Execute so, plan sixty. What is it? Quest sixty six. What uh, is it? Execute order sixty six. That's the big the big play by Palpatine. Other than acquiring Anakin, of course, mm-hmm. is to basically he's been playing both sides, and now he's chosen his side to be the Empire, and he basically had this whole thing embedded in the clone army where they could just switch on a dime. Order 66 happens, and the clone army turns on their Jedi counterparts and wipes them out, all of them. It's it's so upsetting. I, I don't know how people don't find this movie, like, iconic. I That part is, and just flashes to every single sick Jedi, and, like, and they're just getting, it's Yeah, and the, the cool thing, too, is when this Being all went totally down. Being totally betrayed. Yeah, and the cool thing, too, is when this all went down, Yoda was on Chewie's planet of Kashyyyk. Yes. And really, he would have been another one of the casualties if it wasn't for Chewie. I know. He was, well, he was like, you yeah, know, Yoda, Yoda's exit. I failed. Banish me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he just leaves. But, like, we're happy about it because he needs to, he needs to help Luke later. Well, that's the, that's the cool thing, too, is that it does set you up for the original trilogy. And even with the Jedi, they go from being this, uh, you know, huge council of wise authority figures to just being like crusty old hermits on their respective planets whoever's left is like hiding out do you think that's what he made the little baby (laughs) yeah that's right i mean yeah i don't want to dig i think we were trying to place the age though of the baby the child so to speak Mm -hmm. of, of being around anakin's age so maybe before before the Clone Wars. Ah, uh, I see. Interesting. So yeah, so that that gave me some great nostalgic feels. We know nostalgia is a currency, and it's riding high with Star Wars. So I I love watching these movies. I was happy to go back and watch them again to get ready for Episode Nine. And if you listeners are going back and doing your rewatches and marathons, please let us know how you're faring. What order you decided to take? Which things stood mm-hmm. out to you from the prequel trilogy or the original trilogy? Or the current trilogy. But wait, one more thing. So at the very, very end, when we see the babies be born, Vader is, oh my god, also the epic, epic surgery where they make him into Vader. I love that so much. It's it's so cheesy, but yeah. so good. So, and that's what I was kind of mentioning when we first discussed Revenge of the Sith, is that, you know, even though he does declare him Darth Vader when you sort of Anakin makes that turn to the dark side it's not really until he loses the fight to obi-wan where he becomes the darth vader we know in the original trilogy i have failed you anakin i have failed you i should have known the jedi were plotting to take over anakin chancellor palpatine is evil from my point of view the jedi are evil well then you are lost Master. 
Anakin! I have the high ground! You underestimate my power! Don't try it! And that's a cool moment where we see him. It may not like the dramatic no that he shouts off into the sky, but everything leading up to that point where we see him in the costume is pretty cool. Yeah, well, the whole series. So, and then my question is, so the way it leaves off, and I just, just me and my bad old memory, but the way it leaves off is Obi-Wan leaves him for dead. So I don't know. I think he must be smart enough to know that he didn't die. But then also Vader thinks that the baby's probably died. So, or the baby died, or there's no baby. So... Well, I guess he figures if Padme died, then so did the baby. Exactly. So, so do you, when you go into A New Hope, when did Vader figure... I guess this is for another day, but my questions are basically, like, first of all, does everyone know that Vader was Anakin? You know what I mean? Because he's I in... it's a public thing. Is it just, like, a thing that this the wise ones are like it's probably him like the jedi knew yeah people that were on a need to know basis knew i don't think it was a while and then does like how long does it take him to figure out he has these kids it's i can't remember how that even plays out so maybe that's just for another episode but it's really interesting to me because they all separate off they all leave their lead their own lives after that yeah like in my mind he knows about the kids until he thinks that they're gone but then when things start to happen in the force and he starts to feel them again that's when in the original trilogy he starts to put the pieces together at some point he figures okay well this guy's my son like yeah so uh, when he does say i'm your father is it like he's just kind of figured that out recently in his life it's like he's also on that journey I think he probably first started to sense it at the end of A New Hope. That's what I would yeah. imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he started, kind of confirms it over the course of mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but that having been said, uh, we also mentioned Obi-Wan. So we're talking how Obi-Wan now has to go into hiding on Tatooine and look out for Luke Skywalker. And I think it's really cool that They've announced Ewan McGregor is going to be returning in his own limited series on Disney+. Plus. So hopefully we'll get to see some more of that crazy action as yeah. to how, what he was doing on Tatooine those, that, that whole time. Or was he going off on missions yeah. too? Yeah. Um, is it, he going to maybe encounter Darth Vader one more time? Because we were just saying how he didn't really. He kind of left him for dead. Yeah, so what does he think Palpatine's about that? it was Palpatine's power of the dark side that really held him together long enough to, to heal him and put him in yeah, the Yeah, so we're going to see him... F- I bet you we're going to see him finding out, hopefully in, like, some epic battle, that it's it's Anakin. Like, maybe they meet again, and he's like, oh, shit, you were my apprentice. <laughs> that's right, hell? that's right. Yeah, so it'll be really exciting for that. Yeah, and there's even the guy who played Uncle Owen um, yeah. when he went back to tattooing is going to probably reprise his role inside of the Obi-Wan series. Wow. And it'd be interesting to see if he gets to interact with these characters again. Right. Yeah, see, all, like that, I'm glad they're doing that because it really... That wizard's just a crazy old man. Yeah, it makes you appreciate the prequel trilogy, so I'm really excited about that series. Well, we want to thank you again for listening, and we know we've been giving you lots of fun Star Wars talk to think about, and for those that are really into Star Wars, well, we'll, we'll hit you up in December with some holiday favorites. Jingle bells! See ya. You can always email us at squibblingrivalry at outlook.com or hit us up over social media. On Twitter, we are at squibblings. At squibblings. Give us some thoughts. Jingle all the way. (laughs) Thanks for listening. You know what time it is. Palpatine. 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 Palpat